0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Yeah, I want you to open your Bibles up to 1 John uh, chapter 2. The amazing thing about this passage to me is that God has made such provision for us that regardless of what we face, He has, he has prepared exactly what we need. And it's found here in in 1 John chapter 2. We looked at this not too long ago, but we want to look at next week. We're going to be looking at uh, how commandments relate to the fact that God loves us. Most people think, well, if if you love somebody, you don't give them commandments. But what we're told in Scripture is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you will know that you know me. And so this is what we are beginning to look at. And this is how he, this is how he, we Where do we look at these first two verses of chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, which means so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So what is sin? Well, in, a little later in this same book, in John, First John three four, it says, "Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness." In fact, it's almost like putting a, an equal sign there. Sin and lawlessness are the same thing. Lawlessness is when you say, "I don't have any desire to obey these commandments. I don't want any part of them." That's lawlessness, and that's what we do when we refuse to obey the commands of our Father, who says. When you obey my commands, you're demonstrating the fact that you love me. And so we want to be obedient to his commandments, and he tells us here that we have an advocate facing the Father who is able to help us. If a Christian sins, what does Jesus do for him or her? Well, we're told in the the first verse, he acts as their advocate. The word advocate is parakletos. I only say that because this is the word that Jesus used. This is the word that Jesus used. When he said he was going to send the Spirit, remember this. He said, "It is, it is uh, good for you if I go away." And you think, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's good for us if you go away." He says, But "If I don't go away, the, the Helper cannot be cannot come. He cannot be sent." It's the same word. It's Parakletos. Parakletos. When you see that first four letters there, Parai, it means alongside of, just like a parallel. And so. Parakletos is that someone called alongside to help. This is the typical word the most typical thing in our culture is the word for lawyer, an attorney, someone that you can call along your side to protect you and to, to represent you, and so forth and he says not only did he send us a helper, a parakletos in the person of the spirit, but he himself is a parakletos. you notice this he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He satisfies God's righteous demands for us. How in the world would you ever be able to be accepted by God, knowing that you are the sinner that you are? That's how I feel about it. How could I ever be right with God? Well, it's because I have a parakletas. I have one who represents me, and he satisfies the Father's demands because he stood in my place and he paid for my sins, so I stand before God as one who has been accepted. God is satisfied in regards to me. The, the, uh, in John two one, in First John two one, He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's what makes Him available and able to be our Paraclete, our Helper. He is qualified to be our Helper. Our Lord is qualified to be our Advocate because He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Typically, it's translated in your Bibles, probably. He's the righteous one. He is absolutely righteous. In other words, Jesus Christ has has done everything that he was supposed to do. He is righteous in the eyes of his Father, and he is our representative before the Father. He is the one who stands in our place and represents us to the Father. Now, what we are told also is this. I hope this is the right one. In verse 2, John tells us how Jesus does his job as an advocate. He is, he is himself as the propitiation or the satisfaction. The word for for mercy seat is a, a form of this word. It sounds like this: hilasterion, Hilas is satisfaction. But or, and but what or satisfaction? Yeah, satisfaction. But this word hilasterion is an intense form of the word, and it sounds like what? It sounds like hilarious. It sounds like somebody is really happy and really satisfied, and that's what God is in regards to us. Is because Jesus Christ is the one who stands. In our place before the Father, and our acceptance is based upon the Father's acceptance of the Son. Isn't that wonderful? You see, that that is provided for us. Remember, he said, I'm writing these things that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's the propitiation for our sins. You see, he has made provision. God's made provision because he actually knew that some of us, I'm in that band, some of us will sin, and we have an advocate facing the Father who is the satisfaction for us before him. Now, what must a person do to have Jesus as his advocate? I think we all need him, right? All of us need Jesus Christ to be our advocate. How do, how do we receive him as advocate? Well, according to these two verses, Romans 3.23, did anybody know what that says? For all have sinned. That's a perfect tense, which means you you sinned and you fell and you remain in that fallen state. All have sinned and are presently, continually falling short of the glory of God. That's what it says. Uh, in verse 2, John tells us how Jesus does this job of advocacy. He, he himself is our propitiation. He satisfies the Father's righteous demands. You know, uh, have you ever met people that just are not satisfied with you? Don't raise your hand, but. You, you've probably experienced that where you meet somebody and you kind of want to be friends with them, but you can tell they just don't think much of you. You just don't meet up to their expectations. But what we're told here is that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is the one who representing us before the Father makes us perfectly acceptable to the Father. And the word mercy seat uh, is is a little word that refers to the, the um The the gold lid, this is the gold lid that's placed on the Ark of the Covenant. If some of you have read the Old Testament, you know the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of the covenant that that God's people entered into with him. And on this, this Ark of the Covenant was a mercy seat, and there were two cherubims overlooking it. What it was showing us is that God has provided for us so that we can live in his presence, even though we're not perfect. I think most of you know you're not perfect, don't you? Your, your spouse does and and we're not perfect, however, we have been perfected in the eyes of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation, and so he is the righteous one, and he represents us and then uh, in verse two, John tells us how Jesus does this job as an advocate. it says he's, he himself is our propitiation now that's that's a word that was used by the pagan religions as satisfying these pagan gods in regards to the people that became their worshipers. But God uses it to refer to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have trusted him and him alone to be their acceptance before God. Isn't that amazing that a Christian has an acceptance with God that cannot be undone because it's not based on you. It's based on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's, who is representing me, and so when the Father looks at him, he is thoroughly and completely satisfied. That's amazing because I am so dissatisfied so much of the time with the way I'm performing, and yet I have a God who says, "You are you are perfect in my eyes because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ." That's His mercy seat. That's that's, and that word is the word propitiation. You see, this is where. Remember the mercy seat in the Old Testament. This is where they brought their offerings and they had this encounter with God. And it was the only place that they could be accepted. And so we now have one who has made us acceptable. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful to be acceptable to the living God. And that's what it means that Jesus is our hilasterion, our, our hilos Mos. He is our satisfaction. He satisfies the Father. Now, what, a person, what is a person to do to have Jesus as their advocate? Well, these two passages, Romans three twenty-three through 26, first says, For all have sinned and are continually falling short of the glory of God. This, you ever feel like that, that you just you just never quite get to the place where you feel like, oh, now I can I can stop uh, relying upon what Jesus has done for me and I can rely upon what I've done for me. That God can be satisfied with me because I've acted so perfectly that now he can accept my righteousness instead of just the righteousness of my substitute. No, we are accepted because God has sent his son into the world to make us acceptable. What I love about this passage is that God has worked so hard to make us acceptable to himself. That he has even told us, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, you need to understand you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I've mentioned before that's kind of surprising about this passage is that it is actually saying that when you sin at that same moment, you have an advocate with the Father. You have one who represents you, and that's who the Father looks to. Now, Romans 3.23, this is how it reads. For all have sinned, which is a perfect tense, which means it happened and there are ongoing consequences. You have the consequences of sinning in Adam when he fell. And so he says, for all have sinned and are continually, present tense, falling short of the glory of God. What's that, what that means is you're continually falling short. So it's, you don't have to defend yourself. You are continually falling short but you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is the most amazing thing about Christianity, is that our salvation is based completely upon the work of our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the other passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you all know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is not of yourself? Being saved by grace through faith. Now, grace means that God has given himself. He has given us this salvation as a free gift. And he says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't make a deal. You didn't cause this to happen. This is something God did. He said, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, that is your merit. Not as a result of you doing the right thing, he says, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Boy, that's that's tough, isn't it? No one can boast. The way, as we sit here today, all of us have been accepted. All of us who have put our faith in Christ. have been accepted based on the merits of Christ, and we can't boast. And he goes on to say this, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship, I've told you a hundred times, is the word poema. We get a word poem from it, and it means his work of art. We are his work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is, he saved you so that. He could produce good works through you that would glorify him. He could so affect your life that what you do in response to him are good works, are works that glorify God, not in order to be saved, but because you are saved. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm glad he he, uh, planned this beforehand. I got to tell you. The other night, we went, we went over to the Bay Area and had dinner with some friends. And on the way back, I've never seen traffic like this. It took us about two hours to get back from, from Panola to our home. The traffic was stopped. We were in the Diamond Lane going about 22 miles an hour. It was incredible. I've never seen it like that. And uh, we, were, we wondered, what in the world's going on? makes you kind of want to cuss or something, except I don't know how. But what he is what he says is that God has done something in us. He is we are his workmanship. That is, he created us for his good works. He created you for his good works. What's the great what's the great commandment, the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples in, in John sixteen? That we love each other, right? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. When you start noticing this, when this starts, this catches your eye, you're going to find out it's everywhere. God wants you to love his children. And that's how people will know that we are followers of Jesus. That's how they're going to know that we are disciples of Jesus by the way we love one another. This is what he has called us to do. In this following section here, I'm not going to get to that yet, but next week I will. But what he is saying is that obeying the commandments of God is the proof that we actually know God. It's the evidence that we actually know God because we obey his commandments. And you know, you think, wait a minute, what does is, what is commandments have to do with love? I mean, the, the people that love you the most, you wouldn't expect them to give you commandments. Well, they're not God. God's commandments are good, good commands for you. For example, loving the brethren. We are told that by this, all men will know that we are disciples of Jesus if we love one another. It's one of the primary things that every local church should be known for, that we love one another. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to love one another because we're all so flawed. We are all so flawed. But he says that this is his commandment. And if we obey his commandment, then it is is proof that we know him. And that we, he is our father. And so this is what he's going to start talking about, is how are we going to love the brethren? He says that if we believe the testimony of men, the testimony of God is much greater. And this is the testimony of God, that he has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has the life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have the life. And so God has changed you, and he has provided for you. Now, if you don't, if you never sin, you don't need a parakletos. But most of us need the par- parakletos, don't we? We need the the advocate. We need the one who's going to come alongside of us and protect us. And so we give thanks for that. This is the most wonderful thing in all the world that He's called us to do. That which no, you don't have any other relationship that would come to you and say, "Listen, I have a commandment for you. I want you to start loving." your fellow believer. Most people wouldn't tell you that. And we actually think that people who love each other don't give each other commandments. But God says, if you keep my commandments, it's because you love me. Isn't that something? And the the fact is, if if I were to give you commandments, they wouldn't be commandments that show that you love me. They would be commandments that show that you're not quite all that sharp, that you would obey one of my commandments. But we have a God in heaven who has commanded us based upon his holiness and righteousness and truth. And so when we obey his commandments, we are demonstrating the fact that we know who he is. He's the God of the universe. And so he tells us how to live. And the way that we live in response to him is a testimony that we love him and we know him. He is our father. And we've actually come to see him as he truly is. So this passage is telling us some really good news. Jesus says, don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Let me tell you what that means. That means that he's the propitiation, not just for me, but for the whole world. There's only one place you can go to find propitiation. There's only one person you can go to to find satisfaction for you in the presence of God. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. And that's why God said, this is my testimony that I have given to you eternal life because I gave it to my son. And when you receive my son, you receive my life. Which and, and, and Jesus says the purpose of eternal life isn't just that you'll live forever. It's that you will know God. You will. It isn't just that you know about God. That's great. We know about God. We know about his omniscience and his omnipotence and so forth. But what he's talking about is knowing him personally, having a relationship with him. And so this is what God has given to us. He has given us a relationship to himself, and he wants us to obey his commands because we know who he is, and we know that he could only command what would be the very best for us. That's, That's a wonderful truth. Because uh, we we meet all kinds of people, and they have some good intentions. But some of their commandments are not what we ought to be doing. We need to be doing the commandments of our Father in heaven because he is the perfect God who loves us with all perfection. And every commandment he gives us are the commandments of the living God. And they're going to bring help. They're going to bring wholeness. They're going to bring happiness in our lives. And so this is what he has commanded us. And this is why obeying his commands testifies to the fact that we love him and we understand him. We know him. He is our father and we have a relationship with him. So my prayer for you is that you live your life understanding that, yeah, you're not perfect. There are going to be times when you stumble, but you have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he's the propitiation for your sins. Now you may wonder, well, why would John tell us this? Doesn't this kind of set us up for a real fall? Don't we get arrogant with that kind of, that kind of talk? No, you get humble. When you realize that God has provided for you an, a paraclete, an advocate, to stand before him and to defend you because he knows your heart and he knows your life. And you know, the, one th- the thing I love about all of this is that God is at work in our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ is at work in our lives. And he's producing something. God is changing us. God is conforming us to the image of his son. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so he continues to work in our lives because he wants to use us for his glory. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to stand before him when we all come together before the living God. And he receives us as his own. What an amazing thing. I hope none of you say, wow, I didn't think I was going to make it. I hope you all realize it's him. It's because of him. He is the one who's going to bring us into his presence. And so let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you so much for what we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the fact that he is our advocate. He is the one who represents us. We thank you, Father, that Jesus told his followers that it's good for him to leave them because he was going to send them another helper like himself. And that helper was the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that Jesus Christ resides in us. And therefore, we can walk with confidence. We know that you're at work. We thank you, Father, that you know how to work in our lives and that you have provided for us. You have provided for your people in such a wonderful way. And we are so thankful. I pray that we would live our lives in faith, in confidence in you. Not in ourselves, but in you. You saved us by your grace. You made us your workmanship. You made us the very work of your, the handiwork of your hands. We are so grateful for that, Father. Please use us. Teach us to love one another the way that Jesus has called us to love one another. Teach us how to to manifest this glorious work of Jesus Christ in our lives by loving one another. We pray that you would do that in our lives, Father. Thank you so much for your grace and for your kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.